Um, I wonder when you receive good news, and uh, maybe you think, well, I've known good news for ages. But um, maybe in the past you've had some good news. Um, maybe someone phoned you up and said, you haven't got to come in tomorrow, a day off. Not been sacked, but a day off. Or maybe someone said, well, here's 500 pounds. That sort of thing always happens, doesn't it, as we all know. Are you, maybe you react in one of the following ways. Are you a sort of person that when you hear good news, you, you cry? Um, I'm, not, I'm a occasionally, I'm not a crier when things are good, but I'm a, I feel like I'm going to cry, but it never comes out. So everyone, no one thinks I'm a crier. But other people cry, and they burst into tears, and they drop of a hat. Something good happens, and they all straight away love it. Um, maybe you're an air puncher. One of those, slightly aggressive, um, but always uh, you're quite pleased with what's happened. Or maybe you're the, you do the subtle nod uh, when some good news, which I think is cooler. Um, but people, it's not always clear what you mean, um, so be careful with that one. Um, maybe you burst into song. Maybe you go full-on John Barrowman from I'm a Celebrity, and you decide to sing at the top of your voice at every occasion. Um, or maybe you follow the example of Jose Mourinho from Man United. This is him celebrating good news. Now, if you're a Manchester United supporter, you know it's also relief that they've found out what the, the rectangular thing is and the, the thing that goes in. Look at that, ridiculous. Heavens. Anyway, that's enough of that. Enough of that Man United nonsense here at church. Anyway, apologise. Apologise for that. Um, so I wonder how you celebrate good news. Um, we're in Advent, of course. This is the first Sunday in Advent. And for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at songs from the Christmas story. Because uh, believe it or not, across the Christmas story, as, the, as this news, as the reality of Jesus' birth unfolds across the pages of Matthew and Luke, uh, you see many a character just simply burst into song. And I think it's wonderful. Because uh, sometimes that's the only way of responding is to burst into a good song. And I'm not going to, don't panic. Um, but I have watched videos of uh, ministers uh, who suddenly say it's a bit like that song. They start singing it. I think, why would you do that from the front? Anyway, but we want to sing. Singing is good. It's a way of releasing your emotion, isn't it? And so we're looking at songs for Christmas, really. And it's, uh, these really should be the Christmas number one, actually, every year. Because the songs that we're going to be looking at for the next three weeks are the songs that speak of truth, that speak of hope, that speak of salvation into a world that is slowly breaking around the people in the story of Jesus' birth. And they all um, are a response to the reality of the birth of our Saviour. And, and I wonder, are you, uh, are you already at the stage where Christmas carols are on loop in your house? Anybody already? In our house, it's there. Our tree isn't up yet, but that's a, that's a different issue. I'm quite upset. Has anyone got a tree up? See? We're not, we're not having it up to next Saturday. I'd like it, I would like to put it up yesterday, but that's a different issue, which I'm not going to bore you with now. Me and Andrew will deal with that later. Um, but I feel it should go up the moment December starts. But there we are. Good. <laughs> Kevin it true. Anyway, um, so, but carols are good. We'd like to play carols on loop, Christmas music on loop, until we're sick of it on the 26th of December, and then we stop. And let, me, let me ask you a question. Do you know the favourite carol of the, uh, the wise men? O camel, ye faithful. It's also that time for Christmas jokes. We've only got three more. Why did the carol, uh, the choir, ca- oh dear. Why did the choir cancel their choir concert, their carol concert? Because they developed tinselitis. You must know that one. Which famous playwright is terrified of Christmas? Noel Coward. <laughs> and most importantly, why are sopranos particularly good at Christmas shopping? Because they always manage to get a discount price. Wasn't that bad? (laughs) Anyway, moving on. 
We're back to what we're supposed to be doing up here. She's looking at the Bible and talking about it. So we're looking at Mary's song this morning. Mary's song it sort of comes first in our list. And, and I'll read it to you. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. And if you've got a Bible open, that would be a good place, uh, a good thing to do. We can look at so Matthew 1, sorry, Luke 1, 46 to 56. And I'll read it to you. So it goes like this. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then it says Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Uh, This is perhaps the most famous Christian song ever. It's certainly one of the oldest to be sung in churches uh, across the last 2,000 years. You know it as the Magnificat. It's one of four Christmas songs in the nativity story in the accounts of Christmas. And like so many songs, secular and spiritual, what this song does is uh, commentate on Mary's culture. She's commentating on the issues that her people, Israel, face at the time. She's singing about the lives people lead. But much more than that, as she sings about life, she sings about truth. She brings the two together in the most wonderful song uh, you'll probably ever sing, well, probably never sing, but probably ever read. The song where she brings the true, harsh realities of a divided society in line with the truths of God and what God has been doing and been planning and doing since before creation. It is a wonderful thing to sing life and truth together, and that's what she does. The context of this song, of course, is that God's people, Israel, are a society that is dividing. They're in Judah, uh, Judea, around Jerusalem, around there, and their society is divided. The people of God who were once so wonderful, so in a golden age under David and Solomon right back in the Old Testament, now are a shadow of their former selves. They are divided along social lines, along class, along financial lines. Israelite society was, um, the gap between rich and poor grew wider and wider and wider. Most people were poor except a few who had the power. But that wasn't their only problem. They were oppressed by the Romans. The Romans were their almost global empire had that nation. They were in charge. It was their will or the cross, frankly. It was their will or the hard way. They were in charge, so they weren't even their own. They were taken over by the Romans. And so there are people who lacked hope. These God's people, these godly people have been waiting for a Messiah for hundreds, thousands of years. They've waited and waited and waited. God has made promise after promise. A Messiah is coming. My anointed king is coming in Genesis. He's going to crush evil and darkness he promised his messiah that would come the anointed one he would set them free from their oppressors all that time had gone and still the messiah hadn't come but yet worse the romans had come society had divided and to make it even worse for 400 years god had said nothing no word had been heard from god in between malachi and the book of matthew 400 years of silence No word of God came. So they were hopeless. They were lost. They were broken. They were waiting, hoping, looking for someone to save them. And yet no one came. 
And I look at our country today and our society. Is it not kind of the same? The rich and poor divide grow daily in this country. And I suspect it's about to get a whole lot worse. The delays in things like universal credit are putting people into poverty unnecessarily. I've said that before, I know. People grow their bank accounts and so often leave people behind who don't stand a chance. That grows in our nation. The class divide, social divide, seems to get more and more and more. A young man was killed in London, I believe, a week or so ago because he lived in the wrong postcode. Our nation is divided along postcodes as well. And if you think that's not true, go to London and say you're from that place and cross, literally cross the road into the wrong postcode area and they get killed for that. Our nation, it too, is divided, is fragmented. Many people have a sense of hopelessness. Many of us look at Christmas and many people are thinking, is this the last good Christmas we might have for a few years? What's it going to be like if we ever get a deal, if we accept this one, if we come out, if we stay in, if we do it all again? What will our nation be like at the end of this process? Will Britain remain great? Was it ever great? Will it remain Britain? Will it be a nation that we can be proud of? Or are we going to go back to a time that's far harder than it is? There's a sense of hopelessness and fear as we go into a new year. Not quite sure what's going to happen. And I hope we will take up Dave Tucker's challenge and pray for the UK. Pray for Western Europe, for that matter, and the wider world. We should be people that pray not just for our needs, but for our leaders. We should be praying for Theresa May and our cabinet and parliaments. In, in the rest of the UK as well. And so perhaps things don't change from generation to generation. Maybe the world just is really similar, depending on where you live. So, that's the context that this song is sung into. Uh, the immediate situation, of course, is that Mary was visited by uh, the archangel Gabriel. Some of you may well want to come as Gabriel on the 16th. Uh, that's okay. Uh, please do. That would be, be quite amusing to me anyway. Um, so this is what happened. So in verse 26... It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, an angel of God, uh, sorry, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be to be born will be called the son of God even Elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for the word for no word from God will ever fail and then she says those wonderful words I am the Lord's servant Mary answered may your word be for be to me fulfilled and then the angel left her I often wonder what would Mary have been thinking having received this news we know that she accepted it she's a very dissimilar to Zechariah who we'll look at next week Zechariah wanted proof prove it what about this what about that and he was made mute until John was born but Mary just says may the Lord do to me whatever he wants but she gets up and rushes to Elizabeth it seems that this news that her relative Elizabeth is six months pregnant is news to Mary she's not heard this before and so she goes to to see for herself 
If she is in fact pregnant, she hurries to Elizabeth. And when the two meet, this most wonderful moment happens. We see in verse 44, we have the only, uh, the only illustration of prenatal worship, I believe, anywhere. We know babies here and babies have some understanding, perhaps. But as Mary goes to Elizabeth, Elizabeth says, um, says this. Hang on. She says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured, this is Elizabeth, that the mother of my Lord should come to me and as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaps for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promise to her. As they go to meet together, as they talk, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb worships prenatal unborn Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? In that moment, there's that... Worship, even in the womb. How wonderful is that, is that to know? How wonderful is that to know? And so Mary does the only thing possible. Burst into song. What else would you do in that moment? You wouldn't go, nice, I'll update my Facebook status and go home and have time to eat. No, she bursts into the most wonderful song. At confirmation of Gabriel's words, she sings. She sings for two reasons. That God uses her. Verse 47, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. She rejoices that God would use even her. God has a place for her in his salvation plan that he has been doing and working on since before creation. And how wonderful to know that every single person in this room has a part to play in God's salvation plan. It doesn't matter if you're 90 or 50 or 40 or 12 or 2. Every single one of us has a part to play in God's salvation plan. You might say, well, what is it? Maybe you're going to start some charity or go into ministry or become a missionary. Or maybe tomorrow you're going to go to work and tell someone Jesus Christ loves them. Or the coffee shop with the kids or the Haley Center and say, do you know what? I've been praying for you all weekend. God loves you. Jesus loves you. That's how you pay your part in God's salvation plan. Maybe it's something more specific, but everybody has a part to play. And Mary rejoices, who am I? I'm nothing. I'm humble. I'm poor. But God has chosen me for this mighty work. And let me tell you, God has chosen you for a mighty work. And even me. He has chosen you and I for mighty works for his kingdom. But we need to say, Lord, do to me whatever you want. May the Lord's will be fulfilled in my life. I hold nothing back. All of it is yours. And see what he does with it. And then she rejoices, verse 51 to 52, because God has finally come to set his people free. She says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. God is finally going to move. This is actually a really beautiful song, what Mary does, and it's well worth the challenge for those of us who have been Christians for many years, is actually, you think, where does this song come from? The answer is everywhere. Because Mary was so steeped in the language of the Old Testament, the prophets and the law, that when she came to express her bubbling up emotion and praise, she did it in this most wonderful way, unexpected almost. She didn't just say, oh, it's really good, I'm really great, good, good, good. She prays the words of the Bible. And it is the most wonderful thing to hear. And actually, the Bible commands us to hide his word in our hearts. I think the art of memorizing scripture is long lost on God's people. And maybe it's time to go back to memorizing the key promises of God so that when you overflow with praise, you overflow with scripture. And that's no bad thing. People will hear you and go, wow, 
I want that, what they've just said. That's really good stuff. And so she knows her Bible so well that it just comes out. She, she knows those promises of deliverance and salvation. She knows the promises of God about hope that have been spoken over and over again for hundreds, thousands of years. And she sings because God has finally come to do all those things, fulfill all those prophecies and save his people. The truth from this song is that God always does what he says. If God says he's going to do something, you might have to wait. We might have to wait. We might have to be patient. But God will always do the things he's promised his people in his time, not ours. Sometimes we have to wait patiently, faithfully. God's people waited hundreds of years, 400 years with not a word from the Lord. And here came the word made flesh. What a wonderful response to 400 years of silence for his son to embody his word, the word made flesh. And she sings, she declares not just that God's going to move, she declares something about the world, about God and the mission of this baby. It says in verse 48 to 49 and 52 that he's going to come and help the lowly. He's going to raise up those who are broken. In verse 50, he's going to help those who fear him. That word fear in the Bible doesn't mean terror. We're not meant to be terrorized and frightened of God in that sense. It's the word for awe. It's that sense of he's king and I'm just a human being, but I love him and I'm... I'm careful of what I say in his presence because he's God, but I'm allowed to be near him. When we talk about reverent fear, that sense of awe in front of God, not terror in front of God. It's not like being frightened of spiders. It's not that sort of fear. It's a fear of respect and awe and love. Those that are close to God, he's going to protect. He's going to help those who fear him. He's going to fill the hungry, not just physically, not just practically, but also spiritually. Jesus says, come to me all you who are thirsty. And in verse 54, he's going to help his people, Israel. And when Jesus, in just a few chapters, would stand up in a synagogue, he would say almost the same thing. He would stand up and he would read from the scroll and he would say this of himself. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor that's his mission that's our mission as the church as well but this song says more because this jesus this savior comes to judge as well as to set free verse 51 he comes to oppose the proud he comes to oppose those who are mighty in their own strength and lord it over and in verse 53 he comes to send the rich away empty hand handed and the word rich is simply a short-term phrase for those who oppress Money doesn't make you bad, but often the love of money makes you awful. And often those who have more don't want less, they want more. And you only get more by oppressing those who have less, don't you? To keep that divide as big as you can. So the rich are oppressing the poor. Can you imagine hearing those truths delivered from Mary's lips with conviction and passion and joy and hope? That God was there, that God was moving, that freedom had finally arrived. Isn't that what people want to hear every day of their lives? Freedom has finally come. Good news is today. As that video said, there's hope in dark places. That's our message to the whole world. That's our Christmas message. Our Christmas message isn't, isn't it nice to have a few days off work and chill out? Our message is, this saviour came to save the world. God is near the brokenhearted. Repent, the kingdom of God is near, the saviour has come. Because when people find their saviour, as we all know in this room, they find their freedom, they find their life, they find their hope. And in the 21st century, we don't sing the way we used to. 
When we have a testimony, we share it by video. We no longer sing like Mary did. So I want to play you a, uh, a modern-day testimony. Not the same as Mary's. He's not singing it, but he's telling you what Jesus has done for him because he reminds us of what the Christmas message is all about. My life before I became a follower of Jesus, it was a period um, in which I was consumed by the love of money. My name is Manoj and this is my story. I was a businessman, uh, a property trader, um, and my whole world revolved around trying to buy as many blocks as I could throughout the UK to essentially make uh, the most amount of money that I could physically make in my lifetime. In terms of my business, 2008 was going to be the big year for us. Uh, but then we all know what happened in 2008. The mortgage market collapsed. For me, the credit crunch was like literally being in an earthquake. Everything just started to crumble overnight. It was during that same time that my son also became ill. He was rushed to hospital um, and he was rushed into resuscitation where essentially he stopped breathing and there were all kinds of complications. But what do you do when you're ushered into the room next door? Um, I turned to God in the hope that he would somehow uh, come and help us. My son was transferred to St Thomas's uh, in London and then the consultant comes and sees us on the fourth day and says, I'm really sorry, but you know, your son is not going to open his eyes for some time yet. Uh, they're still trying to work out what was going on. And yet what was resonating um, throughout the four days was the fact that this, this American couple that had come over from the States, um, we'd recently befriended them and, uh, and they were praying. It really impacted me because they called us so many times and talked about the church lifting up my son in prayer. And it really gave me a lift. Um, and what really, really impacted me was the fact that um, this lady in particular um, collapsed on the floor and wept for my son. There was something there that I felt that she had that was, uh, that was different. So on that fourth day, the consultant had said to us, your son is not going to open his eyes for some time yet. And as she did the ward round, my son suddenly just bolted, literally just bolted upright in bed. And as you can imagine, there's so much elation and there's so much joy. And I remember turning to my wife and said to her that, you know, when we get out of this hospital, let's just go to that couple's church that prayed for our son. It was a big sort of experience that I had in that church in the sense that I literally walked out uh, a, a different person. My wife really didn't recognize me. My mother thought I'd joined some kind of cult because suddenly I wanted to try and do everything differently, particularly in, in the area of business. Before that, I was very, very arrogant, very ruthless, very money-driven. And for, as someone who had essentially lived such a sinful life, and in the midst of all of that sin, there's a God that says, I forgive you, and I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Now, how do you get your head around that? Jesus sets people free every single day. And if we don't tell people the good news, then people don't get out of their darkness. And that's our job this Christmas time. For those Israelites, the glory of being God's people seemed a thing of the past. They were facing poverty and trials and oppression. People were tired. They were lost. The Romans had all the armies, all the might, and all the land. 
The people looked for a saviour. They looked for good news, but none came. But then God chose that poor, humble woman to be the bearer of a saviour who would come and set people free, but with a freedom and a hope that would be greater than simply defeating the Romans. A deeper freedom, a deeper hope, one that changes not just how you feel, but changes you from the inside out and all that matters. And we face growing problems in our nation, don't we? People again feel lost. People again wonder who to trust, unsure of what's coming, fearful of what's coming. And just like 2,000 years ago, it's time the church found its voice and began singing again. Perhaps not literally. Some of us really can't. Um, But began singing. Singing the truth over our nation. Declaring again that there is hope for the hopeless. That for the poor, there is satisfaction. For the oppressed, there is freedom. And for the lost, there is light and salvation. People wonder who to trust, unsure of what's coming. And we must sing with conviction and with power and with words of hope. Because there is good news. Christ isn't just for the good times. He's in fact for the bad times. For the times of uncertainty. And actually our good news doesn't doesn't depend on what deal we get or don't get. Our good news depends on declaring Jesus Christ and faith in him. He died for us and arose again. And death has lost its sting. And that is our Christmas message. So let's join Mary and sing with our hearts this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord God, we just want to we think of these verses. And Lord, we think of Mary, actually. And we thank you, Lord, for the example that she was. Lord, a, a young girl, really, very young. Yet, Lord, she was able to speak such truthful words, such words of hope. Because, Lord, she knew you. She was certain of you, Lord. She trusted you. Lord, she was humble, but yet, Lord, she was strong. Not in her strength, Lord, but in yours. She is the most wonderful female role model. And, Lord, she is the most wonderful male role model. Lord, we want to be a bit like Mary this Christmas. Lord, men and women who say, do what you want in my life. Lord, who don't seek to to grow our own stuff, but seek to grow our faith. Seek to grow our humility. Seek, Lord, to bow the knee and say, Lord, do as you please. May your word be fulfilled. Father, I pray for our nation again. Father, I pray for uh, these next couple of weeks, particularly the 11th. Father, we ask over this nation that your kingdom would come. Lord, in all the negotiations and the conversations, Father, my prayer is for the poor. Lord, for those who are already struggling. That, Lord, whatever happens, and Lord, you know what this nation really needs. Father God, But, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling that you would protect them from struggling more. And that, Lord, those of us who are comfortable, that we might be comfortable enough to share and challenged enough to share. Father God, bless this nation and bless these words in Jesus' name. Amen.